0: As some of you may know, uh, we are in an era where there is more and more a blended stream in Buddhism here in the United States, especially. What I'd like to talk about this morning has to do with the notion of meditation as the process of training the mind, and in particular I'd like to talk about uh, distraction. Because of course a lot of training the mind has to do with uh, coming to know something about our tendencies for distraction, how distraction manifests and what we might do about it. I'd like to begin by saying a little bit about what in the Zen tradition is very much focused on which has to do with the posture that we take in meditation and in particular to pay some attention to the details of the way we have the physical body arranged that are conducive to the cultivation of our capacity for attention that is stable and has in uh, over time increasing degrees of energy associated with it. The uh, physical characteristics of attention go like this to have the upper torso in alignment, so that the head is balanced on the shoulders, and in alignment with the heart chakra, and with the hara. That area about three or four fingers below the navel, and the distance of the first two joints of the index finger in, where we have the very important energy center that is called in uh, Japan, the Tanden, or in China, Tantian. That energy center is the focus for attention uh, with the breath in many different streams of meditation in Buddhism. So part of what we get to work with in meditation practice is to begin to notice what our physical habits are that may not be uh, conducive to attention. We may have some habit of holding our head uh, to one side or to the other. And you may notice quite a difference, though subtle, when we have the head uh, held up and balanced, supported by the shoulders. You may notice uh, some difference if the chin is sticking out or if the chin is a little bit tucked in, not down and not up, but just moving the face back so you get some double chins. <laughs> in fact, the physical posture that goes with a lot of discursive thinking is the chin sticking out. Uh-huh. So when I have the chin tucked in a little bit, it's a way of allowing the discursive, chattery mind to quiet a little bit. Sometimes during a meditation retreats, When I'm meeting with people, I'll say something like, oh, it looked like you were having a lot of thinking this morning. How did you know? (laughs) But of course, it's actually rather easy to tell what's going on in the mind by looking at the body. If the chin is a little bit tucked in and the tongue is resting on the roof of the mouth with the tip of the tongue behind the upper teeth and the place where the tongue is attached, very soft and relaxed, That also helps with a certain quieting of the mind. You may notice quite a difference between sitting straight, that is allowing the spine to be straight and schlumping. (laughs) Sometime during meditation you may realize, oh, schlumping. Without judging, just note and reach towards the ceiling with the top of the head. And you'll notice a kind of spaciousness in between the vertebrae. And sitting on the seat, uh, whether you're sitting on a cushion on the floor, or a bench, or a chair. uh, A kind of uh, spaciousness and opening in the spine that makes for a kind of lightness in the physical body. For those of you who have your hands resting on your thighs, may I recommend that you have the hands back far enough so that the elbows are underneath the shoulders. If the elbows are a little bit forward, then you'll have some strain in the lower back. And of course, that uh, sense of strain or discomfort in the lower back leads to thoughts like, I can't do this, Mm -hmm. this hurts, when will the bell be over, (laughs) I have to move, I have to get up. When in fact, what we might uh, work with is adjusting and fine tuning our posture so that we are able to sit in alignment, but also with the quality of ease. My own experience is that whatever we do in terms of meditation practice, if what we're doing is not suffused with the quality of ease, we will get discouraged and the cultivation that we are seeking will not uh, go so well. So those are a few uh, refining points in posture. Um, Many of you sit with your eyes closed and you might uh, explore for part of your meditation sitting with your eyes partially open. It seems that we can notice what's going on with the physical posture uh, a little bit more easily if the eyes are a little bit open. When the eyes are closed we may get a little more drowsy or sleepy or caught in thinking And lose uh, our awareness of what we're doing in the way we have the body arranged as we're sitting. If you're sitting on the floor on a cushion and you have trouble with tightness in the hips and legs, you might try sitting a little higher. That often helps. And if you're sitting in seiza with the feet under you on a sitting bench or on a chair or on a bench like I'm using, let the distance between the knees be the distance of two fists. That way, the uh, legs are coming out of the hips in an aligned way. And um, we'll have a chance for you to ask questions if you want to more about the details in posture. But I think what's useful is to not think about uh, sitting right or wrong, but more a refining process where you gradually begin to discover what is the arrangement of the physical body that is uh, conducive to the cultivation of being in attention? So, to go to distraction. We live in a time and in a society which is very practiced at distraction. Movies are made differently than they were 30 years ago, because our attention span has gotten shorter. Uh, Recently I was looking at um, one of the Apu trilogy films, an Indian film that is very slow. And I had a very hard time getting anybody to keep me company for the whole film because there just wasn't enough happening. For uh, many people, what has happened is we are, we've grown up uh, accustomed to listening to music or having some entertainment. So when we sit down to gather ourselves and to do the kind of settling that is crucial in the cultivation of stable attention what we may first notice is an enormous capacity for distraction. Somebody comes into the room and we open our eyes and look around to see, oh, who came in? What are they wearing? My, they're making a lot of noise. I don't like their haircut. <laughs> so on and so on and so on. Or if there's a sound, what's that? Opening the eyes and looking to see what the sound is. So for quite some time in the cultivation of our capacity for settling, for being more and more in attention, what we run into is our capacity for distraction. The uh, beginning stages of meditation are sometimes described in the literature as the stage of constant placement. That is uh, the placement of attention on some particular focus, classically on the breath. In Zen, classically on both attention with posture and breath. And of course throughout the whole stream in Buddhism, the cultivation of mindfulness has to do with using the focus on some particular detail of physical posture and breath. Some particular detail of physical sensation in the body and breath as a way of bringing ourselves into the present moment. So what happens when I take my seat and arrange the body, and then bring attention, resting on the breath as the breath rises and falls. And then I start to think about something. And it may be quite some while before I realize, oh, thinking. And then I bring attention back to the focus of the meditation, on posture and breath. And then there's wandering and placement. There's wandering, noticing wandering, hopefully not judging the wandering, but for many of us, judging the wandering, judging the judging, (laughs) so that we get this kind of uh, reactive chain of judging judging the judging, judging the judging, judging the judging, on top of the wandering. So as much as possible, we want to be willing to notice whatever is going on. And then firmly, but gently, bring attention back to the breath. So uh, what I'd like to do is to take a, a little while talking about the wandering part. Because of course, for many of us, what we have is lots of wandering and very brief moments of placement of attention on the breath. But if we are persistent and consistent in practicing placement of attention on the breath, both in formal meditation but also in very brief practices through the day where we bring attention to the breath for a moment, for a breath or two or three, we will begin to have more and more capacity for placed attention. And the periods of wandering will become a little bit shorter with a little bit longer periods of placement. Now, uh, my experience is that a very important stage is to be interested in what does the mind do when the mind wanders? Not with getting caught in the content, but to just notice, what does the mind do? Thinking. Note thinking, come back to attention resting on the breath. Or you might for a few weeks decide, I want to really notice the detail of wandering. So what's the detail? Lots of thinking. Or maybe for some people, visual fantasy. For many people, mostly thinking. What kind of thinking? Reviewing, arguing. Preparing, lots of reviewing in the form of storytelling about what happened and what he or she did or said or what I should have said but I didn't say. And then all the tapes about what creeps we are because of what we did or didn't do. Judging, planning, rehearsing. So every time we can note the specific detail of the wandering and then always come back to attention on the breath and then wandering. What happens when we work with a heightened awareness of what we do with the wandering, in the wandering, we are letting ourselves note but returning to the breath in a way that begins to open up our recognition of oh there are a few dominant patterns in the wandering. And when we can begin to notice what the patterns that are dominant for us are, we can then begin to work with those specific patterns. Judging and planning go together. They're like very close siblings. So for some people, uh, what wandering uh, constitutes is a lot of judging and planning. And in noticing that particular pattern in the wandering that happens when you do formal meditation, you may then begin to notice the reactive mental pattern of judging and planning at other times of the day. And you may then begin to notice the kind of sinking energetically and emotionally that is a consequence of habitual judging and planning. And you begin to not get so caught in the story if you're doing the noting practice of noting and then coming back to breath or coming back to a specific body sensation, my butt sitting on the seat, my feet on the floor, and then the breath. And my relationship to that reactive mental pattern will change when I notice pattern rather than getting caught in specific content. That's a very important distinction. If the particular pattern that comes up for for one of us is arguing or rehearsing, and we can begin to note, oh, that's coming up a lot. We then may notice a lot of rehearsing in our daily lives and begin to note, oh, rehearsing. Sensations in the bottoms of the feet, breath in, breath out. So that in time, we get to know what the dominant patterns are in this distractedness called wandering. And my experience is that the more I understand, the more I actually know experientially what those dominant patterns are that that I get caught with that drag attention away from the breath because they're more familiar, maybe more amusing, even if the amusement is suffering. We will go for familiar. What what begins to happen is I don't have my attention so fully off the breath into the wandering. And in time, those patterns can rise and float away without my getting caught by them. Which means I begin to have increased capacity for attention resting on the breath. What is extremely important in practice is to understand that I'm not trying to get rid of these reactive mental patterns but I am seeking to not feed them and nothing feeds reactive mental and emotional patterns like visiting and sinking into the story that keeps generating the patterning like having a big bellows blowing air onto the embers in a fire until pretty soon we have flames. Um, I'm working with someone right now who's quite new to meditation and who has for much of her life suffered a lot from a very hot reactive anger. And she's found uh, the daily practice of meditation, bringing her attention to the breath, has helped her begin to recognize that she may feel anger arising, but that she has some choice about whether to act on it, whether to express the anger and act on it. And in a very short time, she's come to understand that what's under the anger is fear and hurt. (coughs) She's beginning to discover certain practices, for example, to place attention on quick, 10 specific things I'm grateful for, as a way of picking her mind up from fear, hurt, anger, and placing it on the quality of gratitude. There are a whole host of practices for working with our habitual mind states. But first we have to notice what they are. And so the first stage of meditation is getting to know what's so about our particular mind stream. And often we're appalled. We're appalled at how much thinking is going on, how busy the mind is. And we think I have this creepy mind without understanding. This is the nature of the untrained mind, to be busy. Then add to that whatever patterning comes from the conditioning of our early childhood, from the conditioning of our culture, very strong conditioning about distraction, a yearning to be entertained, to be distracted from being present because of course if we're too present we might have to experience suffering. But then what are we cutting ourselves out from in addition to avoiding what we don't want to be with? Joy and delight among others. So I want to uh, recommend curiosity and interest in distraction. To notice whenever I'm doing something and there's a big noise or someone comes into the room, how easily I look up, how easily I yearn to be interrupted, (laughs) how hard it is to not answer the phone if I'm working on something, how hard it is to even unplug the phone (laughs) if I know that I'm susceptible to answering it even if I'm busy doing something that will go a little bit better if I'm Uh, focused and in attention with the task. You may be appalled to know that the test for placement is the capacity to have attention placed on the breath for four hours. That may seem like Mount Everest. (laughs) But it is in fact possible. That capacity for placement is a cultivation that many people over many centuries have been able to do. My experience is that if someone is really committed to the cultivation of placement, you could develop that capacity in about six months. But it means you have to really have your head on fire in wanting to do that which means practicing placement. Practicing it for 30 minutes every day and then practicing briefly for a breath or three, five, six, eight times a day. And pretty soon you're practicing noting (coughs) distraction, attention back to the breath more and more and more. And the major obstacle is likely to be judging yourself that you're not doing it right, four hours, right away. Because of course we're rather unrealistic about our capacity to develop a capacity without recognizing how many years of practice we've experienced, we've engaged in, in the cultivation of the pattern of distraction, for example, how many thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of times have we practiced habitual judgment or arguing or rehearsing? Whatever uh, the cluster of distracting patterns you may discover about yourself. So we have to first be willing to study the mind as it is. What are the dominant reactive patterns in this mind stream? Mentally and emotionally. Because it's only in knowing what those patterns are that I can then begin to work with changing my relationship to them And in some cases, begin doing the antidote practices that help me cultivate other possibilities that have the effect of draining a kind of energy in what is familiar and habitual. That's what the gratitude practice does. I'm developing a capacity in the mind, in the heart mind, which has the positive effect of my not re-energizing habitual judgment for example, because I'm energizing this track in the mind of gratitude, appreciation. And this is of course why, what is especially helpful is to have good company, the company of, that you have with each other in coming to practice meditation together. But it's also what makes having some teacher, a spiritual guide to help us be imaginative about how to use various mind training practices for the cultivation of the qualities of the heart mind that we want to cultivate. And the ground practices, the ground qualities are those that constitute generosity and kindness. Because it's only when we stand with a mind suffused with kindness and generosity that we can then cultivate the other qualities that go with our capacity, the cultivation of our capacity for presence and for seeing clearly. There's a, um, a great teaching that uh, many of you may know that is uh, carried in uh, picture that's painted inside, just to the left of the entrance of temples and monasteries throughout the Himalayas. And uh, the, the teaching is described as the uh, wheel of existence. And the wheel of existence is held in the um, the hands of the God of Death. And the outer rim has the pictures that depict the teachings on dependent origination, pictures of the 12 links. And then inside the, the, the rim are the six realms of conditioned existence. And the human realm, the upper realms are the human realm, the realm of the titans, and the long life gods. And the lower three realms are the hell, the hot and cold hells, the animal realm, and the hungry ghost realm. The human realm is described as the realm of desire. I want, I want, I want. No matter how much I have, I want. A kind of distraction that's quite potent, especially if we feed the tendency. So the way to begin to interrupt the patterning, is to begin with noting and then coming back to some specific sensation of the physical body and then the breath. So it's the easiest and most reliable way to note without getting caught in content. And once I begin to see pattern, I already have a slightly distant relationship to what I'm noting. I've already begun to, dis, to cultivate observer mind. So I'm not trying to get rid of what I'm noting, but I'm also in the process of noting and shifting where I place my attention to begin to not keep energizing that reactive pattern place so that it keeps being regenerated and will in time fade if I don't keep regenerating, feeding, inviting in for tea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which is, of course, what we do when we listen to the tapes uh, that start playing over and over again, oh so familiar. I, I am firmly convinced that if we don't know what we're doing in meditation, we can get discouraged and feel quite lost. So it's extremely useful to have some clarity about what's the through line in meditation? Oh, first to study the mind because I can't train what I don't know. Secondly, to understand what are the habitual obstacles for me in being able to see clearly the nature of this particular mind stream. And to then begin to discover my capacity for a clear intention in terms of what I'm going for. Because what I'm going for will change over time. I may start out with wanting to have less suffering in my life. My uh, focus may initially be uh, apparently very self-centered, but that's what I have to begin with before I can begin to save the world. (laughs) And I think for many of us, we distract ourselves by trying to train someone else's mind stream, by (laughs) trying to save the world without recognizing that the place to start is within ourselves. That it is only the cultivation of a peaceful, happy, loving heart-mind within myself that I can begin to behave in ways that lead to the cultivation of those qualities in the world immediately around me and in time in wider and wider circles. The great uh, Zen teacher Dogen who uh, brought Zen from China to Japan says something to the effect of uh, our practice is to study the mind and we study the mind in order to forget the mind, in order to know all beings and things. This is a uh, tradition that is highly relational is everything about uncovering the fact of interdependence, of relationality, among, between ourselves and all beings and things. But we have to start with the cultivation of our relationship with ourselves. And to do that, we have to begin with knowing our own mind stream. Wandering is a very useful place to begin. So, Maybe that's enough, and I imagine that you may have some things you'd like to bring up to talk about, or maybe some things you'd like to ask me about in terms of what I've been bringing up, but the field is open. Yes? Uh, Is praying just another distraction during meditation? Well, I think there is a place for praying in the Buddhist meditation stream but initially, meditation is about this developing capacity for being in attention. And one of the things I can do at the end of my, whatever my practices are, is to dedicate the wholesome and positive energy that arises from what I've been doing for the well-being of whoever I want to do prayers for. It's a, that's definitely a form of praying. But to understand that the point in Buddhist meditation, particularly in those practices that have to do with attention resting on the breath, is about this capacity for very stable, unwavering capacity for resting on the breath. And in time, what we discover experientially is that when attention is resting on the breath, the field of awareness can be vast. It's not either or, it's not either attention on the breath or attention with what's around me or the suffering of someone dear to me or some situation I'm concerned about. But with that very stable, developed stable attention with a lot of energy, there is this growing experience of our capacity for inclusiveness. So the difference between the mind of either or and the mind of both and is I think crucial. I'm I'm unclear on what you just said, the either or, both and. Most of us uh, think in terms of either or. I either get to take care of myself or I get to take care of so and so. And we're probably off base if we're not acting in ways where I'm taking care of so, so, so and so in a way that includes taking care of myself. That's the difference between either or and both and thinking. And when I notice that I'm, I'm caught in either or thinking, and I ask myself, well now how would I think about this with the mind of both and? I can almost always see the possibility if I can remember to ask myself that question. So to go back to your original question about is praying a form of distraction? I think it depends a lot on what's my motivation am I a little uncomfortable, this focus on the breath is boring, I don't quite know what I'm doing, I'm going to pray. My motivation might be to distract myself from what I don't yet know how to do. For example. So, you know, I wouldn't want to make a blanket statement in response to your question because it really depends. Yes? I find I can keep my attention focused much longer on the breaths if I actually count the breaths, if I just count the out-breaths. And, and is this a good technique or is this, is this some kind of distraction? Well, actually, uh, particularly in the Zen uh, schools, um, people are often encouraged, at least in the beginning, to account both inhalation and exhalation, where you're counting on the exhalation, Up to 10 breaths. So you might uh, do inhalation one, exhalation one, inhalation two, exhalation two. But how about hundreds rather than 10? You are more likely to be having more attention on the counting than on the breath itself. But suppose you can do hundreds with attention on the breath. I'm just saying that the hazard is that the counting becomes more the focus and is keeping you in thinking and not dropping into attention resting on inhalation and exhalation. That's the hazard with counting. Now, there is a practice of um, practicing what's called long breath where you count the inhalation and the exhalation in terms of the counting at about the rhythm of a second hand. What you're aiming towards is an inhalation that's the length of five or longer, and exhalation five or longer. But in that case, what you're really training for is extending and lengthening inhalation and exhalation. Because, of course, one of the things that happens is that with longer inhalation and especially longer exhalation, the thinking mind quiets, because the characteristics of, the characteristic of long breath goes with the characteristics of calmed and settled mind. There's a very intimate connection among breath, state of mind, and physical body. So one of the ways of calming the mind is by focusing on the characteristics of breath that accompany a calm mind and a calm body. But there the intention is to develop the taste of longer inhalation and longer exhalation. It's also very important to be willing in meditation to study the characteristics of each inhalation and each exhalation as it is. Because out of that, then, I begin to notice the more and more subtle characteristics and I begin to have more awareness of, oh, and what are the qualities of mind that go with this, these characteristics of inhalation and exhalation, and what do I notice in the body? So my concern with the counting that you're describing is um, that I'm likely to linger longer in that realm that's where language is dominating and you know there's this very old image of what we're doing is like taking a glass of water that's very muddy and putting it on a shelf and as as the glass of water is not disturbed is just sitting there the uh, particulate matters in the water settle to the bottom and the water becomes clear that in settling and quieting the body and the breath the mind will begin to settle and will begin to drop underneath language to a capacity for spaciousness that then is not so gone when we begin talking and being engaged in activity. So I wouldn't say that what you're doing is wrong, I would say um, that, that, that that practice is risky Yes. Um, You were talking about anger, and the woman who was dealing with some anger, and you were saying that um, she found underneath the anger was hurt and fear. Yes. So the idea is not to enter into that either. No, but with any reactive emotion— The huge difference is between the willingness to allow ourselves to know what's arising and not feed it, not keep it going, which is most easily done with storytelling, which is what we do in the mind. And of course, when we do that, whatever emotion is arising, when we're experiencing the emotion, when we're experiencing the emotion with attention on the breath, what we experience is the impermanence of every single emotion. And at that point, whatever the dominant reactive emotions uh, that arise for you or me, cease to be so strongly in the driver's seat. And I begin to develop more and more capacity, not for suppression or expression, but the capacity to be present with whatever is arising. Not just what I like or what I don't like, but the whole show. And if I'm not feeding those strong reactive emotions, they rise and disappear. Rise and disappear. So by just stopping the storytelling, this woman discovered, oh, I could not only notice anger arising, but um, oh, quick, 10 things I'm grateful for. And it's not that the anger isn't rising, but it's not lingering and she's not acting from that reactive anger, which then creates this kind of chain link of difficulty in her life. Thank you, that's a very helpful question. Yes? Um, I'm curious how you made the link to gratitude um, from her feeling the anger Well, I know from my own experience that um, the gratitude practice, what I'm describing as quick, 10 things I'm grateful for, 10 specific things I'm grateful for, is a potent antidote for habitual judgment. And I understand that what this woman is struggling with is a lot of habitual judgment that then leads to or fans reactive anger. So, um, and I actually discovered the, the effectiveness of, of focusing on what do I appreciate or what I'm, am I grateful for um, in my own experience one afternoon walking to a meeting that I for a number of years went to on Wednesday afternoon.